Good morning, church family. It's great to be back. I was on vacation last week, so it's great to be back with you. And this week has been a really great week for us as a church, uh, a busy week, but a, such a really good week. We had ILC, which is I Love Cabarrus, for our students here at the church, and they were serving at different projects across our city throughout the day. And then at night, they were sitting under God's Word and singing to Him. And so it was a really sweet week. And so I just want to say thank you to all the volunteers that sacrificed of their sleep to pour into the next generation. Extremely grateful for them. Some that faithfully were preparing meals and having that ready for our students throughout the week. It was just a really great time. And I want to say thank you also to the parents who took intentionality to sacrifice and to plan and to prepare to have their kids at that event. I know that takes time and effort and energy from you guys as well. So thank you for parents who helped make that possible. Uh, we're also just grateful as a whole for those that prayed for ILC. Uh, something we've been encouraging and highlighting in 2023 that we want to be a year of prayer. And so praying not just for ourselves, but also praying for our church and individuals that we might cross paths with, we might not. And so thank you for everybody who took time this week just to pause and to pray for the next generation. And I ask that we would just continue to pray for our students and our student ministry. Even this week as I'm praying for them and sharing meals with them, I'm just thinking, God, I'm excited about what you have ahead for them. I'm praying that God would save uh, these that haven't trusted in Christ yet, that we would see faithful followers of Christ come, but we'd also see in the next generation faithful moms and dads, and as God rescues and redeems people, that we find faithful teachers and mechanics and bankers that love and live on mission wherever they are for the glory of God. I'm excited about that, but also that God would call some, even from our church, to uh, enter into full-time ministry either here in the States or around the world, just that God would raise up uh, great, great things through your prayers. And as you pray and God answers these prayers, we're going to be uh, celebrating that as a church and just praising God's goodness to answer those prayers. So thank you to, to everybody that sacrificed and made this week happen. Extremely grateful for that. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been going through this series of praying the Bible. Through the summer we've been hitting this. And if you haven't been here, or if you're new here, special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, let me just catch you up on the last few weeks and get us all kind of up to speed. Uh, the first couple of weeks we took Psalm chapter 3 and Psalm 4, and we talked about how we pray God's Word early in the morning. We're praying God's Word, His, His language, back to Him. And Psalm 3 is a prayer for the morning. Psalm 4 is a prayer for the evening. Then we went to the New Testament. We looked at uh, Ephesians, and in Ephesians we talked about how he's praying that, that God's people would understand the depth and the weight and the breadth of God's love. We need strength to do that. So we talked about what it means for us to pray for strength to understand God's will and his love for our life. Then last week, if you were here, Pastor David was preaching, and he was talking about waiting on the Lord. And he looked at a prayer from the life of David, how David said, I'm going to wait on the Lord, and how it's difficult and how it's hard. And what it looks like to pray God's word when we're waiting, when we don't know what the future holds, how to pray. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 42. So hope you have a copy of God's word. Go ahead and make your way there. In Psalm 42, this is a prayer that's going to help guide us to how to pray in our suffering and sorrow. This is praying our sorrows to God. Now, before I read this passage, a couple of preferences that I want to make uh, before we dive in, just so we have a, an understanding. First, some of you have heard already, we're talking about praying our sorrows, and you're like, 
well, I guess I can check out and I can just daydream about whatever I want to because, like, I'm on a mountaintop right now. Like, everything's going well in my life. I got the promotion. We had the kids or we had another grandkid or, like, just everything is going right in my life. And so, man, everything's up and up. I don't really need to hear this message today. And I would just say I would encourage you to take notes, to write it down, to to dig wells right now in a good season so when you're off that mountaintop and you're in that dark valley again, you can come back to passages like this in Psalm 42 and be reminded. Because the reality is we all have seasons like this. We all have dry seasons, difficult seasons. This is just life, right? And I, I know I'm still young, but I've been through very high seasons and very low seasons. I've been in those seasons of, of sorrow where I've been hospitalized and a doctor has said that you shouldn't even be alive today. You know, I've walked through miscarriage with my wife. I've, we've, we've, we've seen, I've buried friends and family members, like dearly loved friends. Like I've gone through all those seasons. And so I get and I understand that there's different seasons of life. And part of my job as a pastor, what I would love to do is only talk about all the good, glorious, perfect, joyful moments. And let's just go through and only sing songs about rejoicing. But that's just not what life at all is because we're in this, under this canopy of like, thorns and thistles and brokenness because of sin. So part of my job as a pastor is to help prepare us to suffer well. That we would have wisdom to understand how to navigate sorrow in our life. And that's what God's Word does all over the place. God's Word doesn't just talk about heaven and the glories that await us. It talks about our daily struggles and our daily life. So I would just say, don't just think, well, I'm on a mountaintop. I don't need this. We all need this passage. The second preface I would make as I start is, as I go through this passage, please don't think, good night, is Ryan broken? <laughs> like, Ryan's really sad. Like, Ryan is depressed right now. Like, we taught this whole, like, passage on sorrow. It's like, Ryan, okay? I want you to hear from me right now. Ryan's good. I just got back from vacation, sitting out in the sun, playing a little golf, like, just enjoying that. Like, Ryan is in a good place right now, very thankful. So this is not a sermon out of my own suffering and sorrow from this past week. Maybe just some that's happened throughout different seasons of life. And so let's think about honestly coming to God with our sorrows as we look at Psalm 42. We'll start in verse 1. We'll actually read the entirety of the psalm. It says, As the deer... Pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? For my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where's your God? And these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them into procession into the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, from Haman, from the mount of Mizar, deep calls the deep, as the roar of your waterfalls and all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, 
a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray to him now. Lord, you are the God of all comfort. That's what your word tells us. And so we thank you for your word that that speaks to us in every season of life. From the ups to the downs, Lord, your word speaks to us to guide us. So, Lord, today... You tell us of a hope that we have in the day ahead, but Lord, also the promise that you have given us through your word to guide us through the day of sorrow. So I ask, Lord, we ask together that you would help us to understand your truths so that we can walk through sorrow well. Now let me give you just a bit of time right now to pray and to ask that God would speak to you and help you to understand Psalm 42 in your heart and in your life this week. Pray and ask him to do that right now. Lord Jesus, as we continue through this, this series of praying the Bible, Lord, I plead, I beg, I ask of you that we would be a church of prayer. God, even this week, we would use Psalm 42 to to teach us how to pray your word back to you, to the glory of your name and for our good. It's in your name we ask. Amen. Well, in Psalm 42, there's three truths, three ways that we should pray our sorrows to the Lord. And the first is this, we've got to pray honestly. Let's pray honestly to God in the midst of our sorrows. In the first few verses, uh, verses 1 through 3, you find the tables being set for the sorrow of this writer of Psalm 42. Now, we don't know who wrote Psalm 42. Some assume it was David, but we don't know. But the psalmist writes in these first few verses, he's, he's laying out all the suffering and pain that he's going through. And he describes himself in verse 1 as a dear panting for streams of water. Now, let's make sure we understand this picture because I've seen this verse and seen this verse attached to like beautiful pictures where there's this like beautiful deer that's standing beside a rabbit and and there's like streams that are flowing down and it's like as my soul, you know, thirsts for God and it's just like this beautiful scenic picture. That is that's is not <laughs> Psalm 42. Okay? Like, I'm glad for those pictures. I'm glad for those times. I'm just telling you, Psalm 42, he's talking about dying of thirst and dehydration. Like, nobody wants to put that on the side of a coffee mug, like this scrawny, thirsty deer that's dehydrating and hallucinating because it is so thirsty it's about to die, and it's stumbling down to this brook where there is no water in it. Like, that's the image that you and I should have when we come to Psalm 42. He is crying out in his sorrow because his soul is dissatisfied. But he knows that the only cure for his dissatisfied soul is more of God. 
He needs more of God. And so he prays, he cries out to God, I, I'm thirsting for you, I'm thirsting for the living God. He's not a dead God, he's not a passive God. Verse 2 says that he's alive, he's moving, he's breathing, he's active. And he's thirsting for God. I love the, the image that he uses to talk about, I'm, I'm like a deer that is dehydrated and thirsty. You say, so often we try to live our lives like a, like a camel, <laughs> where we're like, I'll just get a sip of God every now and again, and that'll get me through to the next month or the next two months. And this is not a luxury to just kind of come to God occasionally. No, he's like, this is a necessity. This is a necessity for my soul, even in the pits of sorrow. So I need God. I need him now. And so he is thirsty. And the only thing he's having to drink, the only thing that he's having to eat, it says in verse 3, are his tears. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Now, slow down on verse 3 because this is describing somebody who's most likely struggling with depression. He says, my tears have been my food. He is weeping. That's the only thing he's had to eat. He's lost his appetite. And not only has he lost his appetite, he's not even sleeping. He says, my tears have been... There day and night. You don't cry when you're asleep. You, you cry when you're awake. And so in his sorrow and in his suffering, he's just being honest with God. God, I'm thirsty for you. I need you. I need more of you. And the only thing that I'm getting right now are my tears. My tears are my food day and night. So what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves in a place like this? This spiritual depression, this this drought that we have, what do we do with our sorrows? We pray honestly to God. We pray honestly to God. That's what he's doing. Look at verse 4. As he's thinking and he's remembering his suffering and his sorrows, he says, I pour out my soul. I'm just going to pour out my soul before the Lord. He's just going to be raw and he's just going to tell God, God, I know that you're the living God, but it sure doesn't feel like you're active right now. God, I'm so thirsty for you. I'm like a deer that's about to die. I'm just weeping and I'm crying. He's just telling God all about his life. And he's like, I am depressed. Lord, would you help me? And he's pouring out his soul before God. And I hope, I hope this is freeing for some of you today. See, the temptation for us is to think that when we pray, we have to polish up our prayers. And they've got to be perfect and beautiful as we come before God, and so until I can think of the right thing to say and a joyful prayer to pray, then I can't pray at all. And that's not what we find in Psalm 42 or in the sister Psalm 43 or 44. You see somebody who is in deep, dark despair and sorrow, and they're crying out to God. They're pouring out their soul. You see, God desires for us to be honest with him. God desires for us to be raw with him in our prayers. Now, be raw, but be reverent. Be raw, but be real, but be respectful. And that's what he's doing. He's just telling God how it is. See, when we try to cover up, my life's good, I'm just going to pray to God for all these blessings. God knows the depths of our heart. He knows, God knows that the fake you is doing just fine. But the real you 
man, you are hungry and you are thirsting for something more. So be honest with God. And for some of you, you're like, my sorrow has really kind of hindered my worship. Like, I want to come and I want to sing these songs and I want to praise God, but like, I just don't feel anything. Like, it's, like, it feels like God's not even there. Like, I'm not getting anything out of it. Then bring that to Him. Bring that sorrow to Him. You might be thinking, well, I've been reading my Bible throughout the weeks and I'm just not getting anything. Like, I'm trying to read and it's just like stale. I'm not getting it. Then, then bring that to Him. Tell Him, God, I'm hungry and I'm thirsting for you and I'm not just I'm not getting anything out of it. Would you help me? Or if you're praying, like we've been challenging this year, and you're like, I'm praying, God, but I feel like my prayers don't even go past the ceiling. Then say that to him. Be honest with him. This is what the psalmist is doing. Be real with God. We don't need to be fake with God. We don't need to be fake with each other. We need to be honest. Our prayers need to be honest in our suffering and our sorrow. And as he's pouring out his soul to God, and as he's praying and he's confessing all these sorrows, his mind goes in in verse 4 to the congregation of the church singing and praising God. That's what he's longing for. Isn't it fascinating? Many times when we go through sorrow and hard times, that's when we're like, well, I I can pass on like church today. Or I can, like, avoid small group and gathering together with other people. Like, I'm just so sad, and it's just a difficult time. I had a, I had a girl that was in my ministry in Raleigh, a great, great lady, and she had, I had a significant loss to her in her life. And I know she stopped coming to church, and I, and I reached out, and I was like, you know, what's going on? Like, we haven't seen you in a while. And she said, well, I've just got to get happy again. And once I'm happy, then I'll come back to church. Because right now, if I come to church, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cry. And it's just gonna be sad. And so I just I've gotta wait until my life is right, and then I'll get back to church. And I'm like, what? That is not how the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about mourning. And David, or whoever wrote this psalm, is in his mourning and his sorrow and his suffering, and the thing that he wants to do more than anything else is to gather together with the people of God and praise him and worship him. This is something that we too easily let go. We come too casual to worship. And if you are not a a Christian today, then I'm not talking to you because I'm not expecting you to come and worship something you don't believe in. That's not what I'm saying. But for those of you who are Christians, don't, don't let worship go so flippantly. And don't come so casually into worship the Lord. Don't hold so casually what God has deemed so holy. And if you hold it casually, I would probably argue that you, you don't realize what we do here week in and week out. This is not just for happy people that have everything together. God's Word, all throughout, He talks about how He has a chosen people that He brings together and He dwells with these people. And when they come together, they, they worship and they remember God's promises for them and they encourage one another. God's Word even says that when we gather together, we consider, that's a forethought, we consider one another and how to encourage one another. And so this is not a place that you should run from in your sorrows. This is a place that you should come to. And week in and week out, we should be praying beforehand of different people that we know in our church that God would encourage them, that maybe God would give you a word to encourage them that morning. That you, as you sing these songs, what you're doing is you're singing to the Lord, but you're also singing to others 
Others whose hearts are, are broken or are sorrowful. You're seeing those truths, reminding them of the reality, of the promises, of the love of God. That's what you're doing as we gather week in and week out. And so some of you that come to church maybe once a month and, and you say, well, I'm a faithful follower of God, but man, I'm, I'm in sorrow or I'm longing for God. Dude, you need to get back into a community. God desires for us to encourage one another even in our suffering and our sorrows. That's what God has called us to do. And so church family, hear from my heart. I love worshiping with you. I love you guys. This is something that I miss when you're not here. I do. And so be encouraged by this. Don't be offended by this. This should be an affirmation to encourage you to be a part, even in the midst of your sorrow, to, to hold holy what God has hold or held holy. And the writer of Psalm 42, this is what he's doing. He's saying, I am suffering. I'm going to be honest with God. And what I miss more than anything is to gather together with God's people and to worship God. This is what we should be doing. So a couple practical applications with this. One is let's intentionally encourage one another in our worship gatherings and in our small groups. Would you use part of your prayer time this week to pray that God would give you a chance to encourage someone in their walk with the Lord this week? Be looking next Sunday to, to speak those truths to those people. The second application with this is let's be honest in our prayers with a rawness. Rawness with reverence, right? And if you don't know how to do that, if you're like, God, I just don't know how to do that. If I came to God right now, I would just be so angry with God. I'd be so angry with God. Then use Psalm 42, Psalm 43, Psalm 44 to guide your heart to worship and praise him. Do that. Be honest with God in your prayers. And the second way that we should pray in the middle of our moments of sorrow is praying with discernment. Praying with discernment. If you look in verse 5 of this passage, this is in the middle of this prayer. What he does is he stops and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Now let your eyes rest for a second in verse 5 because he's going to say it again in verse 11. The exact same thing. Why are you ca cast down, O oh, my soul? Now why that's so interesting is because in this prayer where he's pouring out his soul to God, he pauses. He's talking about his sorrow. He's being honest, being raw with God. And then he stops and he's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not going to talk to God for a second because he doesn't say in here, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Tell me, Lord. That's not what it says. He doesn't say, why am I downcast, O oh my Lord? He doesn't say that because he's not talking to God right now. Nor does he say, why am I downcast, O oh my people? Like, would somebody please tell me why my soul is downcast? No, who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's pouring out his soul with honesty and then he, he just says, hold on a second. Let's just pause. No, 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 no. Hope in God. Why is he talking to himself? Because he's trying to, to search his heart. He's trying to discern where he's placed false hopes in his life. And so, yes, he's praying to God. But he pauses to speak to himself. Why are you so downcast? If you remember several weeks ago when we were in Psalm 3, 
Uh, David wrote Psalm 3, and he's praying in the morning. And Psalm 3, verse 3, you'll see it on the screen. David is praying, and he says, But you, O Lord, you are my shield, and you are my glory, and the lifter of my head. Remember when we talked about this several weeks ago? David is praying to God, and he's starting off his day saying, God, you are my hope. You're my glory. Everything in my life rests on you. You're my identity. You're what I have the most joy in. It rests in you. And that's so important because if we have false hopes, if we place hopes in all these different things, then sometimes our despair comes from our false hopes, things that let us down and they fail us. And David can write here, God, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. David isn't devastated when he's lost everything else. Why? Because he hasn't lost the Lord. See, David has lost his family. In Psalm 3, his son is trying to kill him and take his throne. And so if his glory, if his hope was resting in his family, when he lost his family, then David would go into despair and a deeper depression. But that's not where his hope rests. David's hope didn't rest in his job. That wasn't where his glory rests. He said, Lord, you are my glory. So when he lost his job of being king, he didn't fall down to despair and say, I've lost my throne. There is no hope. There's nothing to go on. No. Even when David lost his reputation and everybody knew his sin and his shame, the things he had done, he still had hope. Why? Because God was his glory. And because of that, it was the lifter of his head. So even when David went through a hard and difficult time, with God being his hope, he found relief from his sorrow. Oh, hope in God. The church family, let us analyze our hopes. Let us pray with a discerning heart to the Lord. And when we find our, our false hopes, let's re- repent of them. Let's readjust our hopes and place them on the Lord God. We need to search out our cause for grief and to see it's in a false hope. Man, that's some of the best surgery that you can do for the grief and sorrow in your life. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great guy, great theologian, was a pastor, actually had his medical degree. And he wrote a book, a famous book, called Spiritual Depression. You'll see a picture of it on the screen And if you have not um, read this book, but you feel like in a dry season or you feel spiritually depressed, would would highly encourage you to grab a copy of this book and read it. But in there, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones is talking about Psalm 42 and this whole aspect of pausing, discerning your heart, and then speaking to yourself. Which, I'm going to be honest with you guys, the first time I heard this, I'm like, that's weird. Like, what is he talking about? Like, speaking to yourself. That just that seems really weird. But then when you look at Psalm 42, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. In verse 5, that's what he's saying. He's speaking to himself, why are you downcast on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And what Dr. Lloyd-Jones does in this book is he brings this to light, the idea of talking to yourself, to speak truth, and to find that hope. And this is what he says. He says, have you realized that, that most of our unhappiness in life is from the fact that we're listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves? He says, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They're bringing back the problems of yesterday and the anxieties of today. Somebody is talking. 
Who's talking to you? He said, yourself. Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42, he says, was instead of allowing himself to continue to talk about his depression and his sorrow and his sadness, he starts to talk to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressed within him, crushing him. And he stands up and he says, self, stop and listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Hope in God. That's what Psalm 42 is telling us. There are times when we speak lies to ourselves. We hear the whisper of the enemy and we believe them. And we listen to ourselves more than we listen to anybody else. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to, how much music you listen to, you're always speaking, you're always talking to yourself throughout your day. What are you speaking? What are you saying? Would you examine your heart to make sure your hope is placed in the Lord? Hope in God. That leads us to our last point. When we are in our sorrows, we should pray with hope. Pray with hope. Now, notice at verse 11, which is the quote of verse 5, how he ends. Now, you would think, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, that this psalm is going to end with like rainbows and butterflies and unicorns because everything's perfect. He was sorrowful and he prayed and then like, oh, everything's perfect again. But that's not what you find. In verse 11, he's still in his pain. He's still in his sorrow. But he doesn't move into denial or despondency. He moves into hope. Hope. Did you see how this reads? He, he did not say in verse 11 nor in verse 5, he doesn't say, hope in God, because I do now praise him. No, because that would be a lie. He, he's struggling right now. He's thirsting for God. He feels like God's not there. That would be denial to say, I do now praise him. Nor does he write or say, hope in God, but I will never praise him again. Because that would be despondency. No, he says, hope in God. Why? I shall again praise him. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, this is a promise to cling to that you will certainly praise God again. Maybe not in your timing, but in his timing. We will praise him again. That day that we long for is coming because it's founded in Christ. The perfect day, the perfect joy, the perfect rejoicing that we want is found by hoping in the Lord. Hoping in him. So why should we hope in God? How do we know that he's worthy of our hope? Well, he's going to lay out several reasons. Look at verse 8. He said, this is what he's hoping in. This is the, the God that he's hoping in. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. He's telling his soul to hope in God. Why? Because of his steadfast love. And some of you, you, you thought this week, I know I love God, but does God really love me? Because I just don't feel like it. And what you need to hear, what you need to know today, is that God loves you. He loves you. His steadfast love endures forever. It's not just a love of the day. It's also a love in the middle of the night. 
It's not just a love when things are going well and the sun is rising. It is a love that is there when the difficulties come and the sun is setting. It is a steadfast love. And this love of God is the one that continues to bring us back to his promises. We've talked about this multiple weeks now. This is the, the Hebrew word, which is what the Old Testament is written in, hesed, which is God's covenant-keeping word. He's promised something. His love has promised something. And we need those promises in the depths of our pain. And this is what we hope in. You see, our sufferings are deep. They're deep. But the promises of God are deeper. It's only on the watery cloud of sorrow when it's our suffering that the sun paints a beautiful rainbow of promise. One of my favorite preachers who I reference often in here is Charles Spurgeon. And he was known to struggle with depression. He had an amazing ministry. He reached thousands and thousands of people with the gospel. But he struggled deeply with depression. And he would come back to Psalm 42 regularly. And it would be kind of the, the refreshment his soul needed as he would pray it to the Lord. And as he came back to this and he talks about Psalm 42, he talks about the deep promises that are only found for believers who go through deep suffering. And this is how he describes it. He says this, Great depths of trial bring with them great depths of promise. For you, afflicted one, you much afflicted one, there are words, there are promises, great and mighty, which are not meant for other saints of easier experience. You, because of your suffering, will drink from the deep golden goblets reserved for giants who also drink from the great portions of bitter wormwood. Trials are mighty, but they enlarge the soul through the promises of God. And so if you feel the loneliness of life, if you feel the, the pain and despair and the sorrow, oh, hope in God because his steadfast love meets you there with promises that are there in the depths of your pain. But he doesn't just say, I have hope in God because of his steadfast love. He says, I hope in God because he is steadfast. He is a rock, verse 9 says. I say to God, my rock. This is such a beautiful picture. This means that he is a stabilizing force when our world is out of control. When we are being tossed to and fro in our boat of life, he is the port where we can go and drop anchor and find safety and peace. He's the one that stabilizes our life when everything else seems out of control. This is who our God is. He is a rock. But when we put our hope in all these false things, these false hopes out there, all we do is find more anxiety and more shaking. And he feels in his, in his soul that things are out of control. And he comes back and says, but God, you are my rock. That's why I hope in you. Because all these things that I feel seems like things are out of control, but God, you are a steady rock in an unstable world. Look at how he describes how he feels. God, you're my rock, verse 9. But why have you forgotten me? He feels forgotten. Why do I go mourning? He is mourning, he is weeping 
because of the oppression of the enemy, he feels oppressed. People are making fun of him. He says, as deadly wounds to my bones, my adversaries taught me. People are making fun of him, saying, where's your God? You say you believe in this God that is a rescuer and a redeemer. Like, where is he now? This is how he feels. But he comes back and he says, God, you and you alone are my rock. You're the thing that I can plant my feet on and climb out of this pit of despair. I love how the old hymn says it. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand all other ground. All other hopes are sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. God is a rock and worthy of our hope. But he's also our Savior. The very end of verse 11, even though he's not out of this time of suffering and depression, he says, God, you are my salvation. Underline that, highlight that, that's so important. He says, God, I see your steadfast love. I see that you're a rock that I can place my hope in, even though I feel this way. Why? Because, God, you are my salvation. You're the one that gets me out of these things. God, I trust in you. See, everything that this psalmist feels in this passage Jesus owns. Everything that we feel, all these sorrows and oppression, Jesus knows it in a deeper and realer way than we will ever know him. You see, this psalmist says in here, he feels forgotten by God in verse 9. I feel forgotten by you. But Jesus says from the darkest moment on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus sees that, he knows that, he feels that. He knows what he's talking about here, the oppression of the enemy, where people mock him and make fun of him. There at the cross, that's what many people were doing. They were making fun of Jesus and mocking Jesus. He knows what this feels like to have the oppression of the enemy on him. It says in Psalm 42, he's got this deadly wound in his soul. You see, Jesus on the cross took our sin, our rebellion against God, and he took it on himself, though he had never sinned. And he bore that deadly wound in his soul. Why? So that we could be saved. He was bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. Jesus was wounded not just spiritually, but physically. He hung on the cross and he died. His spear, the spear went through his side. Jesus knows the depths of our sorrow far more than we do. And this should give us great hope. We should rest in the hope of what Jesus did for us on the cross because it's through this that he brought to us the salvation that we long for. Our minds should marinate on the steadfast love of God and it should bring us to the cross. And with that, we should have deep refreshment. God has not abandoned us. He has not forgotten us, even in our sorrow. Church, I hope you realize this truth. That if God did not forsake you in his darkest days, then he will not forsake you in your darkest days. Let that settle in. 
Jesus on the cross, his darkest day, as he bears the sin of the world on his shoulders, does not say, I'm done, I'm giving up on these people, let's move on, this is too hard, it's too difficult, this is a low moment for me. No, in his darkest days, his love was steadfast for you and for me. And if he's going to be steadfast in his darkest days, then be encouraged that in your darkest days, I promise you, God is not going to leave you, he's not going to forsake you, he's not going to abandon you. Why? Because of his steadfast love, his hesed. Because he is a rock that has never moved and is unchangeable. He is our salvation. So church, in our sorrows, let's pray to the one who is the rock. Let's pray to the one who has steadfast love. Let's pray to the one who offers to us salvation in his name. Pray with me now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you became the man of sorrows that we could have joy and hope. That you took on frailty and you came to earth and you felt betrayed by your friends. You knew what it was like to feel abandoned. You know what it was like to feel the pain and the suffering of this broken world that we live in. God, you did that so that you could save us. So that we didn't have to remain in this brokenness forever, but we shall again praise you. And we know the only reason we have that is because we have hope in you. Because you've made a way. You've made a way. And so God, thank you for bearing our sin and our shame and our guilt. And God, I pray for the one right now that, that knows you, that maybe is going through a low moment. God, may they be encouraged that if you didn't forsake them on your worst day, you're not going to forsake them on their worst day. God, encourage them with that truth. And for others that maybe have never trusted in Christ, they've gone through difficult times of trial and sorrow, God, I, I pray for them now that this will be the day that they would take that step of faith to find hope in you. God, that they would pray, being honest with you with their sin, but also rejoicing as they receive your forgiveness and your steadfast love. God, I pray that you would give them boldness to, to talk to a, a staff member right after service or to go to next steps to figure out what it means to, to trust in Christ and to follow him and to have that hope. God, I pray that they would have the strength and the boldness to do that. Lord, help us today and this week to bring our soul and to pour it out before you and to worship you, for Lord, you are worthy of it. And it's in your worthy name we pray. Amen. Church family, what we're going to do now is we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I would encourage you to sing loudly, just like I talked about, that you would encourage somebody beside you with the claims of the truth that we find in this song. Sing it to him, but also encourage those around him this truth. Let's stand and let's sing now.